Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me. And can I get a little bit of a credit here? I'm, <laughs> I have now stayed consistent with my schedule uh, for, I guess, my third episode now. I told you I'd try to get you out um, a review every two weeks, and I've, I've now held myself to that for the last couple weeks. I think that the quarantine has certainly helped with that. I've just been home more. And um, I've been a bit more motivated to to work on these things, which has been really good. And so I'm just very proud of myself, and I hope you are enjoying the reviews. Okay. So um, <clears throat> today we are going to be discussing the book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life by Nir Eyal and Julie Lee. And I first, I don't know how I came across this book. I Probably what happened was I just got caught in an algorithm in Amazon. I was looking through some books. And they, tended, they tend to choose books that they think you would like. I saw the title. And it's just something that I, I don't, I'm pretty sure everybody in the world struggles with trying to keep yourself focused and how is it that you can start doing one thing and then very quickly you're distracted and you're doing something else and then you get upset about the fact that you've been distracted and then you just kind of give up on the whole day to begin with because you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to get everything I want accomplished, so I might as well just give up and watch some television or check Facebook or something. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but... For, for me and, and my wife and pretty much everybody I know, this is a very, very familiar story. So I've always been curious as to how to prevent yourself from becoming more distracted and just being more productive and trying to, to get things done. And I know that there's been many, many books written about this, and I've read a few of them over the years. A lot of the books that I, I think were that influenced me earlier on, I, I don't, I, I don't think I would enjoy as much anymore because most of the books really deal with basically how to, how to organize your day or how to power through or just developing more mental fortitude. But I, I will give these authors credit in that they, they help me to understand that if you understand your your brain neurology a bit, then you might, it might make a little bit more sense as to why you get distracted very often and you're not able to finish your projects or get your checklist completed. And I think especially now where a lot of us are dealing with a lot of extra time that we have, I think this is really a great opportunity to get some of these projects done that we've been wanting to do. Maybe some of you have been wanting to get, you know, in a little bit better shape. Maybe you wanted to read some books. Maybe, you know, you wanted to repair something around your house. And and even though you want to do those things, and even though you you have the time, 
These things still aren't happening. So, so what's the issue? Okay. And so what the author says is that you first have to understand how your brain works to understand why you're getting distracted. And he says that there's four quadrants of, of things that will distract you from, from being productive. And the, the four things are um, boredom, a bias towards negativity, rumination, and the hedonic treadmill. And I'll go over all four of them, but I, I think the author used a different statement for the hedonic treadmill, but it, it basically means the same thing. It, it deals, well, let, let me go through them in order. So boredom, of course, we all know what that is. Boredom is just when you feel a sense of irritation or slight agitation because you're not doing anything that is mentally or physically stimulating for yourself. Okay, everybody is prone to that. Um, and, and the way that the human brain works is when we are not being stimulated by what we're currently doing, we start looking for escapes to do something else that will bring us more mental stimulation. And humans just get bored very easily, okay? Uh, and especially, you know, in Western cultures where we just have so much access to immediate gratification with with media and technology and all these other things, we're, we're, we're prone to, to boredom very quickly. I know this as a school teacher. I, I know if I talk for any more than about two minutes, I can already see the students squirming in their seats, uh, getting restless, uh, start they start looking for escapes. Maybe they can use the bathroom. Maybe they can go get up and sharpen their pencil. Maybe they can talk with a friend. Something to to stop the boredom. All right, so that's one element. Okay, the second element, the bias towards negativity. Um, there there have been other books that have been uh, written about this, um, but basically we we tend to be very 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 tough critics on ourselves. Um, for example, what I, I have a one of the things um, that I tend to have a problem with is I will give myself a huge checklist of things to do during the day. I'll get through maybe I don't know a fifth of what I was supposed to do, and then at the end of the day, when I'm kind of looking over what I got accomplished, I'm actually like angry at myself. I'm like, oh my god, there's all this stuff that I could have been doing. What did I do instead? Oh, I watched television. Oh, I made a Facebook post. Oh, I started snacking, you know, and and then I'm like mad. I'm like, God, you know, Jason, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together, you lazy person? <laughs> um, and, and they said that that actually, you know, once you start becoming negative with yourself, you just lose motivation. That's really the issue. I, I cannot tell you how many times it's happened to me where I say to myself, okay, I'm going to get my work in by... 8 a.m. 8 a.m. rolls around. Okay, I'll get my work in by 9, by 10, by 11, by 12. Like, oh gosh, well, I guess today is wasted. Instead of just walking around the block a couple times or just doing a couple push-ups that only take about 5 or 10 minutes, I'm just going to give up on today and maybe I'll have a better luck tomorrow, okay? I, I don't know if that's happened to you, but that happens to me all the time. And so, you know, what the author is saying here is that if we can be a bit more positive... Um, if we can focus on what we've been doing right, then the motivation will will keep propelling us forward. It it sort of reminds me a bit of working with my students online because of the quarantine. And I, I would ask them, I would say, so what, you know, I, I notice you're not getting any of your work done. What's going on? And 
they would say, I'm sorry, Mr. Coleman, but I've just, I literally have like over a hundred missing assignments. I just see no way of getting any of this completed. And so what I started doing is I just started saying, okay, you know what? Um, let's do this. How about you just answer one question on each, on each assignment that you have? Just answer one question and then turn that in, okay? And I'm, I'm kind of inclined to think that what would probably happen is once you become engaged with something, once something becomes mentally stimulating, once you feel a sense of accomplishment, then all of a sudden the things that are distracting you just aren't as tempting anymore. And so that's not going to happen if, if we are angry or we're mean or we're constantly criticizing ourselves. We, we have to learn to be nicer people Starting starting with ourselves if we're ever going to become more productive. Okay, and the last one I think is absolutely fascinating um, And that is the the hedonic treadmill and what the what the hedonic treadmill but what it basically is is that I guess what what they're thinking of here is uh, Walking on a treadmill or like a hamster running on a, a treadmill and this this concept is not new as a matter of fact uh, even Buddha, you know uh, you know, over a thousand years ago, was was preaching about this, and what 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 the hedonic treadmill basically is is it's saying that you are your brain seeks out novelty. Okay, something a new, an experience that is new is usually going to be interesting for you, and you're going to have a surge of of adrenaline. It kind of reminds me of the very first trip that I took. When I, my wife and I, our very first vacation that we ever took, which was only about maybe seven or eight years ago, actually, that we took our first vacation, uh, we went to to Maui in Hawaii, and I just remember like landing in Maui. It seemed almost like I had landed on a different planet. It was just so green and lush, and the food, and the beautiful weather, and the sand, and the white sandy beaches. And I mean, I, I was just overwhelmed. Okay. Well, I've probably taken 10 vacations since then, and I've actually been back to Hawaii again as well, and it didn't have nearly the same effect on me. Uh, it can remind it reminds me a bit of uh, one of the things that my wife and I do when we go on vacation. It was we'll normally go to at least one really nice restaurant. That's just you know kind of like our last night there. You know, we celebrate by going to a really nice restaurant. Well. We were in one year. We took uh, a vacation to Montreal in Canada, and we went and we went out for a nice restaurant on two consecutive nights because it was so cold and snowing. We had a little bit of extra money, so we're like, "Hey, we can't go anywhere. Let's just go to two nice restaurants." So we did. All right. And what I notice is every time we go out to some really nice restaurant, it's always a very, very novel, interesting experience. We do a little bit of research on the menu. It's always nice to talk a little bit with the servers. Sometimes we'll get lucky and the chef will actually come out and tell us a little bit about uh, how our meal was constructed. So, but we noticed that when we did it on the two consecutive nights, even though we had much different cuisine, it wasn't nearly as stimulating. It wasn't nearly as interesting. It, you, you almost began to accept it. Okay, and I don't want to get too—I don't want to get too off into Buddhist philosophy here. But but this is kind of what Buddha was saying: was that a lot of our what 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 Buddha would say is that a lot of our unhappiness comes from this whole attachment to wanting to possess things, 
And what he's saying is that once you finally possess the thing that you think you wanted, chances are you're going to immediately lose interest in it and immediately want something else. And this isn't unique to adults. I, I, I always ask my students, I would say things like, how many of you got something that you really wanted for Christmas or your birthday? And then about a week or two later, you, you, almost, I mean, you almost even forgot about it that you even you know, got this thing that you had wanted all year long. I think that's where the, the term buyer's remorse comes from. I, I did a podcast. You can listen to it. Uh, on a very, very famous, on a very popular book when it comes to behavioral psychology, uh, Daniel Gilbert called Stumbling on Happiness, where he talks exactly about this, about how, uh, why people who win the lottery aren't necessarily happier than people who haven't. They are initially uh, for maybe, you know, the first six months to a year, but after that, their brain just kind of settles into into a regular routine, and maybe they were a little happier than they were before, but it's nothing off the charts like we might fantasize that it would be. Okay, so the understanding um, those four, four things. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I missed one there. I missed rumination. I immediately jumped to the hedonic treadmill, I guess, because I'm so fascinated by it. But rumination is just this whole idea where you people our brains we we have we have this tendency to dwell on the same thing over and over and over and over again like oh i lost that game how did i make that mistake we start replaying the image over and over and over again uh you know there's a, a that, i think that's where post traumatic stress uh, disorder comes from you know maybe you were victimized somehow you know a bully beat you up you know your your parents um, you know, did did something really bad to you, and so it's it's hard. You you know, whenever something bad happens, you just keep refocusing, refocusing, refocusing. You keep replaying the image over and over again. It it's kind of like um, it's one of the reasons why it's difficult to forgive people because if you could just somehow forget exactly what happened or put it out of your brain somehow, then then forgiveness would be easy. But the problem is, is that we cannot, we're, we're like, a, our brains are like a broken record. They just keep replaying and, and, and that's one of the reasons why we get distracted because we, obs- we, we can obsess and we, we want to just keep thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. It, it, it doesn't really make much sense. I mean, well, I'm sure there's an evolutionary explanation for it, but in the short term, at least in our modern society, it, it can be a huge detriment to getting things done. Okay, so... Now that you understand the different aspects of uh, distraction, boredom, bias towards negativity, rumination, the hedonic treadmill, you can understand now why just trying to use mental fortitude to power yourself through uh, your distractions, it's not going to work. Um, and, and this is why, because you're going to be prone to ruminating. You're going to be prone to, to, to being negative, to bias, to becoming bored. So you're going to actually have to, what, what the author talks about is you're going to have to hack your brain back, okay? Um, and he, he, he talks about this a lot for social media and he goes, his argument is that social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you, you know, uh, Facebook, they, they do a lot of, they do a lot of things that, that will distract you by design. They're able to hack into your brain psychology. What they'll do is, because he talks about how there is a what is he what does he say he was saying that in i guess it's called the fog model and what the fog model is according to the author is if you want to change behavior you have to understand that there are 
three things that are needed, okay? You, you need an action, you need a motivation, and most importantly, you need a trigger. And so, for example, for me, um, or I should probably say my, my, uh, my social media of choice is usually Facebook, and what the triggers are for, for Facebook, and the trigger is important, is they'll send you a notification like, oh, you have, you know, you have something to check. Or I, I remember AOL, you guys might remember AOL, the, you know, first very popular internet service. They would, you know, give you that message like, oh, you've got mail. So they're giving you the trigger like now it's time to get onto the internet. Now it's time to get into our program. Now it's time to use our software and immerse yourself in it. That's really what the trigger is. Because I would say 99% of the time when I get a notification, it's something to the effect of, oh, a photo that you are following also has a different comment, usually from somebody I don't know or don't care about and not really making a comment that I think is interesting. But it's letting me know like, oh, yes, it is now time for you to get onto the social media and do things. It, another thing it reminds me of a bit is in the 90, I, I don't know if this still goes on or not, but in the, in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, sitcoms were very popular to watch on television. I remember watching them with my family all the time. And they would have these things, these television shows, these situational comedy sitcoms, and they would use these things called laugh tracks, where after somebody did something funny, the <laughs> there would be like some laugh, some very loud, boisterous laughter in the background. And the whole purpose of that is it's a trigger. It's letting you know that, oh, okay, the action we want is for you to laugh to find this funny. So we're going to give you that trigger. We're going to like it's 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 like Pavlovian almost. Uh, okay, now here's your trigger. Now it's time for you to laugh. And you would be amazed at how effective that is. So, how do you hack your brain back to to not do those things? Well, you have to send well, I th- I think one of the things that the author talks about is you have to send triggers in the opposite direction. And he talks about uh, this study with nurses. And what they found in this study with nurses is that there was a very high error rate when nurses were administering medication to patients. And the hospitals couldn't figure out why. They were competent. They knew what they were doing. Why were they, why were these errors taking place? And so what they found by doing some observation is that the the nurses got distracted. They started chatting uh, with their colleagues. They would look over some charts. uh, They would check their phones, whatever the case was, and they would get distracted. So what this hospital started doing, which I thought was, was fantastic, is they started having nurses, when they begin administering medication to patients, they put on an orange vest, okay? And this fluorescent orange vest, what what it's supposed to do is it sends a trigger to everybody else that when you see the nurse with the vest on, that means they're they're administering medication and do not talk to them, okay? And the author talks about what him and his wife do because they're both writers and they have a daughter at home and, you know, a bunch of other things going on, so they constantly get distracted. What, what he says is, what they did is they bought a little cheap, uh, from the, the party store, they bought a cheap crown, and they call it the crown of concentration. And when one of them puts the crown on, 
they are not to be distracted. You're not to ask them any questions. You're not to to talk to them. You're not to try to get their attention or anything because they have the crown of concentration on it. I saw this really funny meme actually on Facebook and it's totally related to the quarantine where I think it's a mom and what she does is she puts a she put a piece of paper outside of her door and she said, do not disturb me. Please use one of the answers if possible. And then what the answers were, I don't know what's for dinner. Look in the refrigerator. Uh, we'll have to talk later. Uh, you know, Go play with one of your toys. It basically uh, giving, giving answers to like 95% of the questions that would probably be asked already. And, and that is exactly doing it. You're, you're rehacking your brain, as the author would say and to, to favor yourself. So you, you need to set yourself triggers. He talks about other things too, about like making packs with yourself where you'll say something like, okay, I'm going to write for, for 15 minutes. And if I don't, then he would put like a, a hundred dollar bill, like in a picture frame. And he says, I have to donate this money, uh, or I have to burn it or whatever the case is, if I don't write for 15 minutes. And he says, he says, you might fall victim to that once, but he, but after you do that, you'll never do it again because once you realize that there are going to be immediate consequences, because he says that people deal with immediate consequences much easier than we deal with long-term consequences, uh, and you can use that to your advantage while keeping yourself on track. Okay. Um, I re- there's actually a lot more to this book. It's very interesting, um, but I just want to, con- I know I'm kind of running out of time here. I try to keep your podcast to around 20 minutes, but I'm just going to go ahead and finish up by talking uh, the last about these, the study that was done, because one of the things that we really worry about is, is our youth, especially your children, how easily they seem to get distracted. They're constantly on their, their screens um, chatting away, getting on social media, getting on Instagram, taking pictures. And the author just just trying to figure out why why are the youth so prone to distractibility? And he said what the, what the author said is that we have to ask ourselves why these kids are so easily distracted. And the reason why, according to the author, is that they just don't have very much control over their lives. And he talks about this study that was done where um, they would bring in two, you know, uh, I guess primary age, uh, school age kids. And they did a study where they would have one teacher teach a lesson directly to one kid. And then the other kid was to observe. And they found that like within a couple minutes, you know, the, the, the predictable actions started happening. That the, the one kid would be engaged with the lesson, but the other kid would start getting bored and squirmy and start looking for some distractions. But then they re they did the study with Mayan children, and they noticed that kid that the kids didn't have the the kids who were observing didn't have nearly the same problems. They were able to stay focused uh, for much longer periods of time, and they were interested in what the teacher was teaching the other kid, even though they weren't the direct recipient of the lesson. And so what the author was saying is that in the Mayan cultures. This, the kids have a lot more autonomy. Like by the time they're 11, 12 years old, they're, they're already hunting. Um, they're able to plan out large swaths of their day. And they basically choose how they want their lives to run. And that's in pretty sharp contrast to, 
to how we govern our youth. Okay, and I, I'm not—I'm not even just speaking like as a as a parent. I'm speaking like as a, a teacher as well. Is that kids just don't really have a whole lot of options throughout their day. I mean, even in my classroom, pretty much every teacher I know. I mean, their lessons are are scheduled already. I, you know, they already know what pages they're going to read, what questions they're going to answer, and they just don't have very much control over any of it. And so I think that what the author is trying to communicate is the screens present an opportunity for, for, the, for the younger generation to, to exercise some control over their life. Okay, I can control which website I go to, where I post my picture. I can take control over which games I play, how I play the game, what score I get. And I guess for me, because it's very important that that if a that if these books are to be meaningful, they have to have some kind of practical application in our lives. And for me, this is going to be the big takeaway is how do I turn over some autonomy back to the students? How do I give them a sense of them being in control over their learning? I don't know the answer to that. I don't really know how to do that at this point. I don't know what the time commitment would be. I don't know how I would hold them accountable. But this is definitely something I need to be thinking about. And if we as a society are going to keep ourselves more focused and we're going to start raising more autonomous children that are not going to be dependent on adults throughout their lives, we need to figure out how we are going to give them more agency over their own existence rather than trying to structure it the way we best see fit. Okay, so that is indistractable. Uh, I certainly recommend this book. I, I think that if you are serious or trying to understand why we get distracted so easily, what we can do about it, the challenges uh, that are going to be necessary, then I think this would be a definite uh, read worth your time. All right. Well, that is all for now. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, thank you so much for joining me. If you could be so kind as to leave a nice review for me on iTunes or Stitcher, it'll help me grow the audience. And as I said before, you know, it's very validating for me, uh, for somebody to actually appreciate the work and time that I put into this. So that motivates me since we're talking about motivation that will motivate me to be even more consistent and do more episodes for you. Okay, that is all for now. Thank you for joining me. We will talk very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. (laughs) 